Thank you for joining us, uh, Minister Wyatt, here at Karma. Uh, it's good to be with you, Philip. Minister Wyatt, a couple of days ago, New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barilaro said uh, the federal government lost attention, that's a quote from him, to vulnerable groups like Aboriginal communities in Wilcannia and other places in Western New South Wales in Phase 1A and 1B of the vaccination rollout. I mean, this is also kind of reflected in data in remote communities with high Aboriginal populations um, and with the exception of Victoria. Would you concede that more could have been done in those first few stages of the vaccine rollout so the situation in places like Dubbo and Wilcannia could have been avoided? Well, what we did was we supplied all of the Aboriginal community-controlled health services with AstraZeneca on the 26th of March. That last week of March, there were supplies in all of those areas. And the leadership group is an Indigenous leadership group who developed the strategy for the rollout. In addition uh, to that, uh, the Commonwealth uh, released... Uh, the first COVID-19 vaccine, and we made sure that there was a RFDS vaccine clinic in Wilcannia on the 28th of June in 2021. So each time we became aware, in addition to the plan of breakouts, then we provided the level of intervention that was needed. And we, we have strong Indigenous leadership, both in the national plan for COVID-19 uh, and is co-chaired by Nacho and has some very eminent uh, people on that group. Uh, Dr Mark Wenatong, for example, uh, is one along with others. But the important point is is that where support was needed, the Commonwealth worked with New South Wales Health and with our Indigenous leadership to make sure that we provided uh, vaccines. But people have been listening to their mates, they've been watching what's on um, social media and they've read some misinformation and my advice is to everyone listening to your program, talk to your Aboriginal health workers, talk to your nurses and talk to your GPs. They're the ones who are the authoritative voices on the vaccination program on what is best for you and how the vaccine will help protect you from COVID-19. Uh, too many of us are being influenced by uh, messages that we often see uh, appear on social media. Or somebody hears a rumour and they, <clears throat> excuse me, they come back with that rumour and say, did you hear? When in fact there's no truth to it. That's something I wanted to kind of also talk about in regards to the hesitancy, that that hesitancy has been fueled by misinformation through communities, particularly by religious groups. And we've heard of anecdotal evidence here in the Northern Territory that such messaging is happening in remote Northern Territory communities as well. And as you mentioned, social media. How will you tackle such spread of information itself? You know, we're hearing messages saying that even traditional owners are saying that I'm not going to get that jab because of what I hear from th these outlets. But what we've been doing is we've been using uh, Indigenous media to get messages out. But there's information both in English and in roughly 15 Indigenous languages uh, that has gone out through radio, television, on fact, uh, on fact sheets, flyers, posters and digital and social context. So we're trying to counter 
But the trouble is if you're not getting information, then you listen to the gossip. And the gossip from social media is causing that hesitancy. We're doing everything possible to ensure that we increase our vaccination rate. <clears throat> and we've got hachos that are doing a brilliant job. Uh, there was a Aboriginal Health Council went from South Australia went to Port Lincoln and they used the local football club to have a forum on uh, talking about COVID-19, the vaccination. And that resulted in approximately two-thirds who attended saying, I'm having the vaccine because they got the right information. I think we have to combine with all of us, including the federal Indigenous members, of not politicising this, of not taking a position that builds on people's concerns, but just have a simple message of saying, roll up your sleeve, have your vaccine, protect you, protect your family, protect your community, because we're seeing what's happening in Sydney. In And by the way, this is not a white fellow's illness either. It, a virus will find any human body and infect it if it's vulnerable. At least with the vaccines, your body can fight back. And it's important that you take that approach in your thinking. And we are influenced by many things. But listen to our doctors, listen to our nurses and listen to our Aboriginal health workers. They will tell you the truth. Minister Wyatt, as I mentioned earlier, we are hearing that senior figures, traditional owners within communities have decided not to take the vaccine, whether it be you know, for their own reasons or uh, they're waiting for Pfizer to come along. Uh, we're not seeing them take up the vaccine right now. Are you concerned about what that says to communities and it would make the cliff higher to climb to get more jabs into Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's arms? What we have to remember is that all of us have had vaccinations for German measles. We've had it for diphtheria. We had it for smallpox. We have it for flu. When we're sick and we're in hospital, we get a, um, an antibiotic that's injected into us. All of them have helped... Aboriginal people across Australia, for every type of vaccination, have the highest rates in the country. We are about two percentage points higher than non-Indigenous Australians, and yet we've not seen people die from it. We've not seen people say no, because what they have seen is the benefit. Our children are vaccinated, and our adults. When we get step on a piece of rusty tin, we'll go to the hospital, we'll have a stitch, and they give us a tetanus needle. And that tetanus needle protects us. COVID-19 vaccination is a protection from death. As we are seeing people die, uh, particularly if they've got no vaccination. And the chief medical officer, I was listening to him, and he was asked a question by a journalist about the number of deaths, and he made the comment, he said, all of those in ICU on that day and those who had died did not have the vaccinations. 
And so he said, whereas people who've had the vaccinations will be infected, but they come through it. Are you concerned about what's unfolding in Western New South Wales could happen in Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory, or especially in Western Australia, where even your figures have said that there are very, very low vaccination rates? Yeah, I'm, look, I'm concerned about the, all of our communities. Um, it's a t- what, we, what we're seeing at the moment is there's now a discussion around truck drivers who are delivering food and supplies to us all, and they're being tested and We've had two come into WA. They got across the border from South Australia and they were tested and they had COVID-19. So they're now being treated. But had they gone into WA and been moving around, they could have passed that COVID on. That's why we have to protect borders. But vaccination is um, the saviour. No one is safe from the virus. You know flu season. Every year we have a flu vaccine. A yep. lot of us have a flu vaccine, not everyone. And then you have an outbreak of the flu and then you're sick for two weeks. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't stop us from getting the flu each year because the virus doesn't know any boundaries. It, the virus doesn't know a border. It doesn't get to the WA border and says, I'm stopping. Mm. It just keeps going. It's looking for a, what we call another host and an unvaccinated person is a host. Now, with traditional owners and elders, I would want them to be vaccinated so that our history, our knowledge, our law, and our culture and our way of life can be passed on from them. And I've said in the past, every time we lose an elder or a traditional owner or a senior person in our community, we're losing a book of knowledge. Because once we pass away, we can't pass on that knowledge. And that's why in Western Sydney, Indigenous leaders are standing up and they are being very proactive. Even the letter you saw in the media from Murima, what they were expressing was a concern about the possibility of the virus running like wildfire through their communities. And they were trying to flag... We need to make sure everyone is working together. We need to make sure that people are being vaccinated. Minister Wyatt, if we can go on to other topics, um, the Morrison government announced it, a couple of days ago it will be establishing a new Aboriginal-controlled entity called the Northern Territory Aboriginal Investment Corporation. Um, there will be an initial funding of $500 million um, can, into this into this corporation, um, saying that it will bring decision-making much closer to the people it affects in terms of employment and working. Can you tell us how this could happen? Could you talk us through what the decision-making process will be for local people here? Well, let me go to a fundamental principle. When I first met with the Land Council, I acknowledged that they had been very successful in implementing uh, the land rights movement throughout the Northern Territory. But now you own 47 to 49% of the land in the Northern Territory through um, the ALRA, or the Aboriginal Land Rights uh, Act of the Northern Territory. My question was, you're getting funding in the way of royalties to the ABA account. But what's your plan for the future for your great-grandchildren? What's your legacy for them? 
and what are you going to leave them? Because at some point, royalties will run out. And by setting up this body, and we had a, we then had a good discussion, a good yarn about what that would look like. And the land councils have set up a economic unit that's based in Alice Springs, looking at some of the economic opportunities. Because I was once at a dinner with a Chinese banker who said, Aboriginal people have got a lot of land. How come they haven't turned it into pastoral stations and raising cattle and selling it to China? Because we'd, we would buy it. Um, and then we were talking about the benefits of that because that would create training, that would create jobs. Um, it would then mean that money would be coming into the community because of their activity. Now, with the new body receiving that injection of $500 million, Though you have to develop a economic development plan for the use of that money that leads to better outcomes. But the other part is every year $60 million will be provided to allow for uh, the um, provision of, say, youth centres, uh, some of the facilities, focus on homeland um, um, outstations and improve... Uh, the way in which services are provided, along with the money that is provided by the Northern Territory Government, because this is not just uh, Northern Territorians doing it, it, it will match uh, the efforts of the Northern Territory Government and certainly where the Commonwealth provides support for programs and that'll match that as well. Minister White... The decision-making will be done mm. by that body and they will consider it against certain guidelines and criteria. So at the moment, they make the decision that the um, minister has the final say. Now it'll be them that will make the decisions. The funding has been touted as something that could also mean an easier path for mining companies to use Aboriginal lands. Are you concerned that if this is mismanaged, I suppose, particularly from mis mining companies of those lands, we could see similar situations to what happened in Jook and Gorge in West Australia? No, but the other thing that could happen, and we've been talking, one of our yarns was about this, if a mining company comes in the Territory, there's nothing preventing that new body from saying, we want a $10 million share, and then invest $10 million. And then every year, they get a return for their $10 million on top of what's in that account. And so they can have the best of both worlds. But the other thing that is important is they have to consider strategic projects that are Aboriginal-led and have Aboriginal involvement. And that's what's important in all of this. A mining company couldn't come to the new body and say, we want funding. No. This has to be Aboriginal-led. And I know that the people we appoint, including one that will be appointed by the Minister of Finance and one by myself, will be making decision that is in the best interest of people within the Northern Territory. Minister Wyatt, I want to finish off with one last question. Um, earlier this year, you promised to replace the CDP with another new program, one that was designed with input from First Nations communities. I understand a change has already been made to the CDP in, in that it's made a voluntary program. Um, are you able to tell us, has there been any update to these changes or what you're hearing from peak First Nations organisations about what's requi required for a well, what, program? 
Yeah, I've released a discussion paper that's gone out. It went out yesterday for people to look at. But I want local um, models. I want the program to be called the Indigenous Engagement Program. You're working for your community. You're not working for the doll. It's going to have that focus. I want people who take on the new program to think about this as working for their community and the betterment of their community. And that's what's absolutely important. I introduced the legislation. We'll do four trial sites uh, to look at what are the possibilities, how will it work, what do we need to fix. But we're also providing a supplementary payment on top of what people will receive. It'll be between $100 and $190 a fortnight depending on the range of activities that are agreed to by the community. Because I want to co-design it, because by co-designing it, it means we do it together. That's what makes the difference. Minister Wyatt? That's important. Sorry, I'm sorry, I talked over you then. What did you say, Mr Wyatt? No, no, and that's what's important, is it's going to be co-designed. But people should go to the uh, niaa.gov.au for more information is they'll be able to look at the detail. But I want to change the way in which our communities have a greater say, not outside groups that manage them. Minister Wyatt, thank you very much for your time. Please feel free to keep on talking to us here at Karma when you have, Ken. I will do, and thank you very much.